This is Gabe Wrench with the Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Monday, March 30th, 2020. Trump extends federal social distancing guidelines to April 30th. According to CNN, President Trump said Sunday he would extend nationwide social distancing guidelines for another 30 days, an abrupt back down from his push to reopen the country as coronavirus continues to spread. The 15-day guidelines Trump announced two weeks ago were set to expire on Monday, and the president has suggested over the past week that he was looking to relax them, at least in some parts of the country. He even floated Easter on April 2nd as a potential date by which the country could return back to normal. But on Sunday, he said he decided to extend the guidelines, which includes suggesting limits on large gatherings to April 30th, a sign his earlier predictions were overly rosy, again, according to CNN. The better you do, the faster this whole nightmare will end, the president said Sunday at White House News Conference. He said that he would be finalizing a new plan and strategy earlier this week and announcing the details on Tuesday. The announcement marked an abrupt turnaround from a week ago when Trump said he was convinced the distancing restrictions were causing irreparable damage to the economy. The United States badly bungled coronavirus testing. I'm going to take you back to February. So these next two reports are coming from February. According to Science Mag, as reported on February 28th, The World Health Organization, WHO, has shipped testing kits to 57 countries. China had five commercial test kits on the market one month ago, that would be January, and can now do up to 1.6 million tests a week. South Korea has tested 65,000 people so far. The U.S. Centers for Disease and Control and Prevention, in contrast, has done only 459 tests since the epidemic began. Again, this was reported on February 28th. So as of February 28th, the U.S. had only tested 459 tests since the pandemic began. The rollout of the CDC-designed test kit to state and local labs has become a fiasco because of it contained a faulty regent. Labs around the country eager to test more suspected cases and test them faster, have been unable to do so. No commercial or state labs have the approval to use their own test. That is because of the FDA, and I'll get into more on that here in a minute. In what is already an infamous snafu, CDC initially refused a request to test a patient in Northern California who turned out to be the first probable COVID-19 case without known links to an infected person. The situation may soon improve, State labs and commercial diagnostic developers hope to win approval from the FDA for their own test. And FDA and CDC on Wednesday agreed on a workaround for the faulty CDC kit, which was a problem that is not essential to its proper functioning, so that it can now be used by at least some of the state labs that have it. Again, this is back in February, according to USA Today. In late February, the CDC Deputy Director of Infectious Disease projected calm in a conference call with state laboratories. The labs were told they could now send samples to the CDC and receive results within 24 hours. Dr. Wofford said that was a bold face lie. At that point, she was waiting for four to five days on test results for samples she had sent to the CDC. The most disappointing part was that they couldn't just be frank and straight with us, said Warford, who took detailed notes of the conference call that she dictated to USA Today. Tell us the situation, don't sugarcoat it and lie, but to mislead us is just not right. So now the Cato Institute summarizes this whole scenario that happened back in February. 
The blunders appear to have stemmed from a government-known best mentality that has hobbled the private sector's response. Governments tend to spin messages, erect barriers to private efforts, and act with overconfidence yet fail to deliver. These same sorts of problems exacerbated the damage in other major disasters, such as Hurricane Katrina discussed elsewhere on the Cato Institute. With coronavirus testing, the federal government appears to have made numerous mistakes. According to a Wall Street Journal article, the government hindered private testing because of concerns about accuracy, yet the CDC's own test was inaccurate. The CDC told the states its testing capacity was adequate, but that was proved wrong as demand soared. Private labs were required to use CDC testing methods, but that resulted in depleting the materials needed for the test. Private labs were dissuaded from pursuing testing by officials who said they had it covered. Finally, the FDA put up bureaucratic barriers to private test development, such as requiring special permission. Thankfully, the government has changed course, and the CDC and FDA are fixing those problems. America is counting on the federal health agencies to succeed in this crisis, so I hope some broader lessons are learned. Top-down controls, misinformation, barriers to private efforts, and treating the private sector as a bit layer are common mistakes in this disaster, according to the Cato Institute. So note that the FDA put up special barriers to private companies who are working on COVID-19 tests themselves. And they did this so that the CDC could get their testing out first to the market. So the FDA was putting up barriers and the CDC was actually putting out faulty tests in the very beginning. And this is all back in February. So the FDA and CDC had a joint effort in botching the rollout of testing back in February. Pretty ridiculous. This brings me to the certificate of need laws in all this. In 36 states and the District of Columbia, a health care provider hoping to open or expand her patient offerings must first prove to regulators that her community needs the service. Providers can spend years and burn through tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars to prove this and thus obtain what is called a Certificate of Need, or CON, CON. The CON process can be required for both small and large investments, the hospital beds, and gamma knives to new hospitals and neonatal intensive care units. So note here that the CON requirements are even required for hospital beds. So if a hospital wants to add an additional bed to their hospital, they have to go through a government bureaucracy to get approval to add that bed to their hospital. Originally intended to discourage the use of expensive technologies and procedures, in many states, a con is now required for relatively lower-cost modes of care such as ambulatory surgery centers and for services unlikely to be overprescribed, such as drug rehabilitation services and hospice care. The federal government once required states to have con rules in order to obtain certain federal funds. But since the repeal of that mandate in the late 1980s, a substantial minority have done away with their con programs. Of those that have retained the regulation, many have scaled it back. In June, Florida moved to eliminate its con requirements for new hospitals, specialty hospitals converting to general hospitals, and for a raft of other services providing such as child's care and substance abuse hospitals. Using decades worth of state data, researchers can compare outcomes in con and non-con states. These statistical analysis include control variables that account for possibly confounding factors such as local economic and demographic patterns. Their findings are consistent with economic theory. Con laws seem to limit 
access to health care, fail to increase the quality of care, and contribute to higher costs. The strongest evidence on the effects of the con relates to access to care. Economic theory predicts that con law will restrict the supply of health care services and that once repealed, patients will tend to access greater levels of care. Surprise, you remove government regulations and look, greater care. Indeed, researchers have found that states that have removed these rules have more hospitals and more ambulatory surgery centers per capita. They also have more hospital beds, dialysis clinics, and hospice care facilities. Patients in non-con states are more likely to utilize medical imaging technologies and less likely to leave their communities in search of care. Though con advocates sometimes claim that these rules protect rural facilities, states without con laws have more rural hospitals and more rural ambulatory surgery centers than states with con laws. It is these con regulations that are currently limiting New York City's hospitals from being able to expand during an influx of a pandemic. This is why the state of New York is building four temporary hospitals right now to cover the needs of the COVID pandemic in New York City. So, get this, the New York restricts hospitals' ability to expand and then comes in with four temporary hospitals to save the day. Got it? Arrest comes as churches grapple with quarantines. In Florida, the river at Tampa Bay Church remained open Sunday in the public despite a safer at-home order issued by the county, an order that includes places of worship. While the church encouraged sick parishioners to stay at home and view services online, the church said in a statement that it felt obligated to stay open. We expect our police and firefighters to be ready and available to rescue and to help and to keep the peace, the church said in a statement. The church is another one of these essential services. It is a place where people turn for help and comfort in a climate of fear and uncertainty. Therefore, we feel that it would be wrong for us to close our doors on them at this time or any time. That was a statement from the river at Tampa Bay Church. On Monday, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office arrested the pastor, Pastor Rodney Howard Brown. Hillsborough County Sheriff Chad Crossner said his reckless disregard for human life put hundreds of people in his congregation at risk and thousands of residents who may interact with them this week in danger. The river wasn't the only church to hold services on Sunday. In Turtle Creek Township, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati, Solid Rock Church has held in-person services the last two Sundays despite stay-at-home orders from Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. Ohio orders does not give guidance to specifically to churches, though it does ban gatherings of any size. But here's how we got to be thinking about this. The concept of true authority has, I think, really left the building. The government does not have the authority to lock me in my house, and the government does not have the authority to shut down church worship services. God gave each government family, church, and civil government, true authority. Abraham Kuyper called this idea sphere of sovereignty. Part of what Reformation and Revival looks like is recovering the Lordship of Christ over all forms of God-given governments. More on this on Wednesday for our midweek fix. This is Gabriel Wrench with CrossPolitik News. Support Rowdy Christian Media and join our club at FightLaughFeast.com. We really can't grow without our club member support, so please consider joining our club. Just three Starbucks cups of coffee a month and you're in. You get a free Fight, Laugh, Feast t-shirt, discounts to our annual conference, access to our club portal, which is just full of all sorts of content, including God and Government, Gary DeMar, uh, interviews with Doug Wilson, James White, Bodie Bauckham, Tom Askell, Eric Erickson, David French, and more. 
You can find all our shows on our app, which you can download at your favorite app store. Just search Fight, Laugh, Feast in your favorite app store. Lastly, we hope to meet you at our first annual conference in Nashville, Tennessee, October 1st through the 3rd. Go to fightlaughfeast.com to register. Have a great day, and Lord bless.